reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me, and you triumphed. All the day I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. The word of the Lord.
reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and pleasing and perfect. The word of the Lord. you. 
reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with all his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will reply, all, repay all according to his conduct. The Gospel of the Lord. I wish to give a warm welcome to anyone who might be visiting the cathedral this day on this holiday weekend. Thank you for coming and, and joining with us in the celebration of, of Holy Mass, and I hope you enjoy your time here in Marquette. You know, my brothers and sisters, if you follow at all some of the news in, in Catholic circles, uh, you know, a question tends to come up from time to time. Some would pose that the church's teaching in several areas is really outdated and the church should really change. And there's criticism of various forms of uh, exclusion or the church being unloving or other types of things that, that may be that may be addressed. And so what are we to make of this question? Is church teaching out of date? Is it something that should be changed? It's raised a lot. And so what should we make of this question? A good answer can be found in our second reading today from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. 
St. Paul says, the Holy Word of God says, do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by a renewal of your mind so that you may discern the will of God, what is good, pleasing, perfect. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. St. Paul is addressing these words to the church in Rome, and of course, Roman culture at that time was contrary to the gospel in, in many, many ways. And, and the words of St. Paul was not to be, not to be con let us not conform ourselves to the values of the world that may be contrary to the teaching of Christ, but rather we should be transformed by what Christ has to offer. And it seems to me that we're in the very same situation these days. where there are many areas of our culture that are, are contrary to the gospel, and that the call to change the teachings of the church are really coming out of those who, maybe through no fault of their own, have been conformed to this age and the values of this age. rather than what the Lord Jesus Christ has to offer. And it is so important for us to be transformed by this renewal of our mind, not by the values of this age, but the renewal of our mind and the values of Jesus Christ. And let me highlight perhaps three areas, and this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but I don't want to keep you here all day. So, so let me highlight you know, three areas where we really need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, areas where the culture is very contrary to the gospel. The first one is the moral reasoning that the end justifies the means. It's a very common moral reasoning that has permeated our culture. The end justifies the means. And, and let me give you a couple of examples of how this has permeated our culture. You know, when I was growing up and studying American history in school, grade school, high school, when we got to the Second World War, they raised the question of dropping the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we were instructed that this was morally justifiable because of it would bring about a quicker end to the war and many, many more lives would be saved. That's the moral reasoning of the end justifies the means. And, and this has very much permeated our culture. 
In reality, though there was just reason to enter the war, our, our country was attacked, it doesn't mean that everything we did during the war was just. And deliberately targeting and obliterating an entire city is a grave moral evil and simply cannot be justified. But this is something that's just entered the consciousness of our country. And we see the same moral reasoning that centers around the issue of abortion. You know, certainly there are, are circumstances where a woman might be pregnant and it might be very difficult or challenging for her to carry her child to term and to raise her child at that time. And so in these circumstances, the moral reasoning of the end justifies the means is often proposed that in times like this it would be okay for a woman to have an abortion. Now, of course, it goes without question that if someone is in difficult circumstances with a pregnancy, we must do all we can to accompany the woman and care for the woman and, and love the woman and help her and support her. But that doesn't mean taking the life of her innocent child in the womb. And the care clinic here in town is a great example of, of, of the wonderful love and support that can be offered to people who are experiencing a difficult pregnancy. But this is another example of how that moral reasoning has permeated our culture. A third example of how this moral reasoning has permeated our culture is a growing trend toward physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, which is now legal in several states in our country. And it would not surprise me if there would be legislation or a ballot initiative introduced here in Michigan for that same purpose. Now certainly if, if someone is undergoing deep suffering in their life, We need to do all we can to walk with that person and love that person and care for that person. But every single human life has incomparable dignity and, and is precious. And caring for the person doesn't mean helping that person take his or her own life. But again, you have the moral reasoning of the end justifies the means. Wouldn't it be good to end the person's suffering by helping the person take their life? And so this is one way where, where, where this value of the culture, this moral reasoning, the end justifies the means, has permeated our consciousness and can easily, easily influence our moral decision-making. But we must not conform ourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. The second area that is very countercultural has to do with 
the true meaning and purpose of the intimate acts that are proper to marriage. And if we were to look at the values of the culture, there seems to be just, just one thing that, they, that the culture tends to hang on to as important, and that is free consent. And that as long as both parties freely consent, it's okay. But if we think about that, if, if, if that's all it means, that all you have to do is consent, and then anything is okay, well, what, what's really the meaning and the purpose of, of the acts that are, the intimate acts that are proper to marriage? Is consent all what it's about, or is it something much, much deeper than that? And if we were to look at what Jesus Christ proposes, what the church proposes, the intimate acts proper to marriage are meant to really reflect the promises a man and woman make on their wedding day. It's meant to reflect a love that's permanent. It's meant to reflect a love that's unconditional. It's meant to reflect a love that's faithful. It's meant to reflect a love that's life-giving. Isn't that what a man and woman pledge on their wedding day? They say that they'll accept children lovingly from God. They say to each other, I promise to be true to you, faithful to you, in good times and in bad, a faithful and an unconditional love, and I'll love you and honor you all the days of my life. And isn't that the way we really want to be loved? Don't we want to be loved with a love that's permanent, a love that's faithful, a love that's unconditional, a love that's fruitful? And it's only in the context of marriage between one man and one woman that this meaning and purpose can be realized. And outside of that, if consent is all that matters, where's the deep meaning and purpose? So the church here is not being unloving or cruel or, or unkind. It's holding up the way we really want to be loved because God has written that in our hearts. Faithful, unconditional, permanent, fruitful, and life-giving. That's the second area where we really need to be transformed, not to be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds in what Jesus Christ proposes. Third area I'd just like to highlight is consumerism. Our country is kind of permeated by it. And, and, you know, and it just seems to be presented to us that the way to happiness is to own more and more and more and more stuff. And, and you know, that never really ends because if that's the case, you can never really own enough. 
And, and you know, they, they kind of build things these days so they don't last, so you have to get a new one. And you know, it used to be, I, I'm, I'm showing my age, but it used to be that you could fix stuff. And you know, like not long ago, uh, the dishwasher in my house went out, and it was the, the electronics, the circuit board. Well, given the cost of getting a new circuit board compared to a new dishwasher, <laughs> you know, you had to get a new dishwasher. You can't just fix things anymore. And, and, and so, so much of, of our, our, our economy and so much of our culture is based on consuming more and more and more stuff. And, and, and it's important for us not just to be you know, conformed to this age, but, but step back and, and say, well, how much do I really need after all? And are there ways that I can live simply? And this simplicity of life, for instance, is something that I don't see brought up very often in the discussion about how to care for our environment. Because one of the things that Pope Francis highlights in his encyclical Laudato Si is this problem of consumerism and wanting more and more and more and more stuff. And that a key to caring for the environment is living a simple life. And I don't really hear that brought up too much in the discourse of how to care for our environment these days. One of the important ways to do that is by living a simple life. But that's countercultural, isn't it? And it's important that we don't just be conformed to this age but that we be transformed by a renewal of our mind. You know, my dear friends, it's not the teaching of the church that needs to change. What needs to change is us, our minds, our hearts. Let us heed the words of sacred scripture. Let us strive to be ever more faithful to Jesus Christ. And the way to transform our minds is regularly to pray through sacred scripture, study the catechism of the church, learn more about our faith. And let that permeate our mind and our heart so that we can be truly transformed into Jesus Christ.